Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Their heart melted. The idea is they, they, they became fatigued in fear and grief. They were discouraged because they had heard about what happened in the Red Sea. And now they just heard about what was coming, you know, how the Lord delivered them and brought them over the Jordan River. And they're like, good grief. Who are these people that their God would dry up a sea and dry up a river at flood stage to allow them to bring that? We're toast. We're done. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you were the people of Jericho, wouldn't you be afraid? Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins our study in chapter 5 of the book of Joshua. After the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan, their enemies took note of their arrival. There was a fear within the enemies of Israel because of the existence of Israel's faith and obedience they had for their God. You see, when our spiritual enemies see that we are trusting in God and we are willing to step out in obedient faith, Even when it seems crazy, they instantly lose confidence in their battle against us. Remember what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's follow Pastor Rob with today's message. Uh, Let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua. We've been going through the book of Joshua. And honestly, I, I just love this book. I really do. I, I've, I really love every book of the Bible, but th- this one is very special, I think, because it's really the summation of, of their desert wanderings. If you remember, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They were there for 430 years, and they come, came under captivity by Pharaoh. And there was a time when God delivered them. You know, Finally, through the hand of Moses, he delivered them, and he brought them out into the desert. And what should have been only a week and a half or maybe a two-week trip or less uh, turned out to be a 40-year desert experience. And it wasn't God's fault. It was the people's fault. And the reason why it took them 40 years because God told them that he would lead them by the pillar of fire at night and the cloud by day. And when that cloud or that pillar moved, whether it was night or day, they would pack up camp and they would follow that, that pillar of fire. But God saw saw it good to stay put for quite a while to prove the people's hearts because there was still rebellion in their heart, and God had to prove them. It's not that he didn't know what was in them, but they needed to know what was in them, and they needed to learn some hard lessons. They needed to learn lessons that were going to help them when they get into the promised land, lessons of obedience, Um, and, and that's a really big one. 
to, to trust, to trust the Lord, to be obedient, to have faith in him. After all, when you think of how he delivered them, is there, is there anything more exciting than, I mean, think of this, folks. I mean, just honestly, put yourself in the, not the story, put yourself in the event. Whenever you read the Bible, put yourself in the event as much as you can. And that's one thing about going to Israel does for you, is you can almost put yourself in the event, because you've walked near, you'll walk you'll right by Jericho. You'll see the ruins of it today. Okay, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. But, you know, you know God is, um, you, you put yourself in the, the Bible. And, and that will be such an encouragement uh, to you. I forgot where I was going. It's very obvious and evident, so let's move on. Um, but here they are. They, they've, they've gone through their desert wandering, and now finally God brings them into the promised land. And it's not by Moses. It's not... Um, by their own, you know, military might. God led them. Remember, Moses died in the wilderness along with that first generation, and God told Joshua that he would raise him up and that he would lead the people across the Jordan River, which, by the way, is swelling and overswelling its banks at this time because it's at the time of barley harvest. So it's not just this little stream that you can cross through. It is a raging river, and it's in full flood, and, and and the Bible tells us that. And so try getting to at least two million people across the Jordan River when it's at flood stage. It's impossible to do. You cannot do it but God, right? So he leads them. He not only led them through the Red Sea miraculously, but now he gets them right to the, the Jordan River, and they got another impossibility in front of them, and that's the Jordan River at that time of year, right at the harvest time when it's overflowing. And God does the miracle. He allows them to go over on dry land and, and brings them over. And then as they get across, the water continues to rage after they step foot out of the Jordan. As the priests step foot out of it, the river begins its normal cycle. And now they're kind of stuck, aren't they? Think of that. It's like crossing the Rubicon, the point of no return. Once they crossed that river, it was either, God, you're either in this or we, we're going to die. Have you ever been in a situation like that? A place, a, a point of no return, perhaps, in your life? Do you know that God is with you when you go through those times? Do you know you can trust him? Well, the same thing was true for the children of Israel. And, and like the Bible says, these things were written for us, for our nurture and our admonition, to teach us something. As he was teaching those children of Israel and teaching them dependence upon him and faith and teaching them obedience, God wants us to learn the same thing. And that's why we go through the Word of God line by line, book by book, chapter by chapter, because every time we go through it, we learn something new. We're always learning. I'm always learning. It's, it's fantastic. I love it. Do you love it? Everybody smile if you do. And if you don't, just go, and then we'll pray for you. <laughs> no, the Bible is exciting. So, in chapter 3, remember, that that's the event where they actually crossed over the Jordan River. And remember, God set them in a certain pattern. He put, the, he put the priests, he put the ark on the priest's shoulders. They were to carry it on their shoulders, and they were the ones leading it across. And they were to go across almost a half a mile or a quarter of a mile ahead of everybody else. And then there'd be the, 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 the 12 tribes or the, 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 the leaders of those tribes. And then the people following behind, right? And we're going to see tonight that God kind of mixes up that order. He puts them in a different battle array when they start to circle Jericho. And I don't really pretend to know the reason why, 
but God has a plan and a purpose. And it could just be, um, well, I, I really don't know. I don't want to surmise. So, let's, um, so that's chapter 3. And then chapter 4, remember, when they did cross over the Jordan, they took 12 stones out of the Jordan River, and they brought them with them, 12 big stones. These are stones that a man would lift up with some difficulty and put it on his shoulder, and he would carry it another six or seven miles into Gilgal, where they would spend their first night, their first camp experience across the Jordan. The same day they crossed the Jordan was that, that very night they camped in Gilgal, and there's 12 men, a representative from each, 12 of the, each of the 12 tribes, who would carry a rock, a very large stone, as a stone of remembrance, remembering what God had done. And they'd put those stones in Gilgal, and they'd put them in a circle, perhaps, or they'd mound them up, we don't really know. And then they would also put, in chapter 4, it tells us they would take 12 other stones and they would stack them in the center of the Jordan River as a memorial as well to remind them. And why did they re- what, what it was it supposed to do? It was supposed to remind them in days to come, their children would say, what is, what is the meaning of these stones here in the Jordan? Because certainly the Jordan wasn't raging all the time. And they would see these peculiar stones very peculiarly placed in the riverbed. What are these stones? And that was a perfect opportunity for the father, for the mother, to tell their son or daughter, this is what these rocks mean. And they would tell of God's faithfulness leading them through and bringing them not only through the desert, but also leading them across the Jordan River. And so we get into chapter 5, and let's read through chapter 5. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan... And all of the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons, the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way. After they had come out of Egypt, for all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the, re- the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. 
And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So let's go back to verse 1. What is interesting is when the, when the children of Israel did come across, the, the very day that they crossed the Jordan, it was the tenth day of the first month, and that was an anniversary, if you will. Actually, it was an anniversary of when they took the Passover, the night they left Egypt. And remember, the Passover was a great deliverance, wasn't it? Because the death angel passed over, and anyone who was not inside the door of the house that had been swiped with the blood, you know, forming a cross, anybody who was not inside or under the blood, that firstborn of that, of that person would die. And so, as they celebrate this Passover this very day that they cross over the Jordan River. And there's no mistakes in all of this. You know, I, I believe God was probably just throttling, or, you know, the, the, the time, knowing that he needed to do it for their obedience. But the very day that they crossed over, and he gave them deliverance uh, from the enemies on the west side, or I'm sorry, the east side of the Jordan, the king of Heshbon and the Sion king of um, Heshbon and Og king of Bashan. He delivered them into their hands and he brought them over giving them this great deliverance, and also telling them that they're going to inherit this whole land and they're going to conquer all those enemies. And by faith, they had to believe that. And certainly on the very anniversary of the Passover, you would think that it would trigger in their minds, for those who were young, they would remember when that night, that night that they left. And they'd remember what God did and the miraculous things that he did through the desert experience, how God had provided water and food for them. Try doing that in the desert for over 2 million people. It's an impossibility unless you're God and you can feed them that many people every single day for 40 years in a desert. And so now they're thinking to themselves, well, this reminds us of something else that God did in the past, and certainly it was. So let's look at verse 1 again. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings on the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over. Notice that their heart melted. Their heart melted. The idea is they, they, they became fatigued in fear and grief. They were discouraged because they had heard about what happened in the Red Sea, and now they just heard about what was coming, you know, how the Lord delivered them and brought them over the Jordan River, and they're like, good grief. Who are these people that their God would dry up a sea and dry up a river at flood stage to allow them to bring that? We're toast. We're done. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you were the people of Jericho, wouldn't you be afraid? Wouldn't you be afraid seeing all these people come and God bringing you in miraculously? So their heart melted, and it says that there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. There was literally no more breath in them. They were just, like, overwhelmed. They were discouraged. They, were, um, they, they, they lacked courage because they saw this. And this is the same word that we see, and, and it kind of gives us a, a picture of, of what it would be like to have... Uh, to have your heart be in such fear, you know, having your breath, your spirit from t- 
taken from you in a sense. In 1 Kings chapter 10, remember the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. And she came, and when the Queen of Sheba, says in verse 4 in 1 Kings 10, when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupboards, his, I'm sorry, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, that there was no more spirit in her. It's the same idea. that She was just in awe and just completely undone. And that's the way the people felt as they saw the children of Israel coming. They're just like, good grief, we're, we are in for some trouble. What do we do? What do we do? Their spirit was no longer in them. They they were just in complete fear. And notice, this is fear upon fear. Fear upon fear, because they had heard before of the Red Sea. Now they're hearing this, and they're like, there's no hope for us. Remember when the two spies came to Rahab, she told them, when they first came into Jericho, that all the inhabitants on the west side of the Jordan were afraid. And you remember that conversation. She had it with them in Joshua chapter 2. And, and she says, before they lay down, because remember the spies were on top of her house, it says, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And this, this is before the parting of the, of the Jordan River. This is just the two spies that came in. She said, I know that, that the Lord has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what, the, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, again our hearts melted, neither did we, there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And this is from a woman who was a harlot. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the Lord loves to use the things that nobody cares about, the things that nobody thinks that God can use? Those are the very vessels he can use. He doesn't use them in their filthiness, but he used Rahab because of what? Because of her faith. She had faith in God. There was something changing in her. Maybe she wasn't a harlot anymore, or maybe she was in the process of repentance. Maybe she had repented. Maybe things were changing, but she's still known, by and large, throughout the Jericho region, that that's her occupation. It became a stigma that was stuck to her, and she couldn't shake it off. Have you ever had somebody place a label on you that you couldn't shake off? I think Rahab was one of those people. And God loved her. He saw her faith, and he's like, you know, I wish my children had that kind of faith. Have you heard Jesus say that in the Gospels? I've never seen so, such great faith. Why is it you, a Gentile, has, have more, much more faith than my own people that I've given the Scriptures to? And that's a real challenge to us, isn't it? But God had told them in advance that he would put the fear of the children of Israel in the hearts of those Canaanite nations. And so um, let's go on here. And so when you, when you consider this, you know, God was very much on their side. Are you on God's side? God was very much on their side. He had done so many miraculous things, prophesied before it came to pass, brought it to pass, and then sustains them in the way, brings them finally into the land. Is God for them or is he against them? It's very obvious that he's for them. Everyone is frightened of them. But are you on God's side? Do you love the things that God loves? Do you love the word of God? 
Do you love fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters? Are you on his side? To be on God's side means to to love the brethren. It means to love him. It means to examine the life and and to make changes where necessary because we're all being conformed to his image, right? We're all being sanctified daily. Are you, willing to be, go through, are you willing to go through that sanctification process? God's setting you apart from the world. And, you know, I sometimes wonder if that 40 years, of course, that 40 years, at least one of the reasons that it took so long and God kept them out there is, you know, he brought them out of Egypt physically, but he had to get Egypt out of them. You know, and there's so much uh, people, even in the church, that, you know, they've come out, they, they, they've given their heart to Christ, they may be born again, but there still remains the world that's got so much of a hold still on them. You know, and God still loves people. You know, whether they're a sinner or a, or a saint, he loves people. But even a child of God, there is, there, there, there is a process that God is trying to remove the world continually from you. Because we've lived in the world long enough. And God says, I want, I want the world to come out of you. You've got to be in the world, but you're not to be of the world. Isn't that what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17? Lord, I pray that you don't take them from the world, but that you protect them from the wicked one. You keep them from the wicked one. But I've given them your truth. I am the truth. But are you on God's side? And we prove whether we love him by keeping his commandments and being obedient to him. And we will mess up. We will make mistakes. We will sin. But when we do, what do we do? Do we run from church to church or do we just confess? Right? The Bible says to confess. When we make a mistake, instead of trying to save face, just own it and, and, and ask God to forgive you and be restored in your relationship with him. In verse 2 it says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now, what, this doesn't mean that, he, that there's, he's circumcising the men who have already been circumcised. It's kind of pointless. Um, it, it, doesn't make, uh, it doesn't make sense to do something like that. But what happened was, if you recall, when they left Egypt, the, the, the men of war were, were circumcised, but those people who grew up, who were born in the desert, those, men of, those younger kids, they, they weren't circumcised yet, and so and now you've got a whole generation out here in the desert whole generation coming into the promised land that haven't been circumcised. And so those are the people that he does. And it says, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way. After they had come out of Egypt, for all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And you know, when you look back in the in Genesis, we see the very... Uh, the first mention of this idea of circumcision, it was called the Abrahamic Covenant. It was a covenant that God had made to Abraham. And this was um, after Ishmael was born, but before Isaac. It says, this is my covenant, God speaking to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. And did the children of Israel keep this throughout the desert? No, they didn't. That's why it's having to be done. Were there other acts of, of disobedience that they did in the, in the wilderness? Yes, there were. There was a, quite a list of them. But was God faithful? Did he still love them? Did he still deliver them and bring them in? Of course he did. But he says, every male child among you, and this is God speaking to Abram, 
Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. All right? Every child, every male, every eight days. And not to go off on a tangent here, but I just I can't help but mention this because it's such a fascinating medical fact now. You recall that Jesus was circumcised. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.